Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 3 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Welcome back to part two of last week's podcast. Thanks for being with us and we're going to pick up the conversation where we left off. So there's many of these other churches that may wait too long or they're too fearful. And you, you've been into a lot of um, a lot of church situations where you've been called in to help them assess things and, and hopefully gain um, a better vision for the future. What are some of the, you mentioned in the book, red flags. Um, what are red flags that really tell leaders? Because I think we've got leaders in churches right now where some of these red flags probably exist. What should they be looking for that says, hey, we're, we're getting maybe too far over that curve. We need to take some action now. Um, or what are some of the red flags that may say you've waited too long? What, what are some things people might see in their own church that ought to alarm them? I, by the way, I'll say, I, uh, in talking to a lot of church leaders, my experience has been um, many are just blissfully um, I don't mean this in any demeaning way, but they're just kind of blissfully ignorant or not knowledgeable of the decline in churches. It's just for a mm-hmm. lot of church leaders, it's really just starting to be in their focus more. And yet it's been a problem for a lot of years. We tend to wait a long time before we see problems. So what are some of those red flags people can look for and that you've seen? Well, let me start with some that are you know in the life cycle. You talk about the bell curve starts on the left with accelerating. That's a new church, a new church plant. They're growing, they're accelerating. Then you get up to the booming. As you get over the top, you get into a decelerating mode. And then as you get to the far right, it moves into a tanking. People sometimes object to that language, but you know, sometimes language is good for us. And to think of tanking, that's a pretty severe word to use, but it's very accurate. So uh, what happens in, in with churches is that we're, when they're at the top, when they're in the booming and the top of the decelerating side of things, it feels the same. In fact, it may feel better on the decelerating side than it does on the booming side. Because mm-hmm. the booming, you're stretching, you're growing. Uh, you, you can't keep things the same because it changes so rapidly and you have to keep up with it. On the decelerating side, you've got lots of people, you've got lots of energy, you've got lots of finances, lots of things you're doing. But it kind of feels comfortable. That's one of those red flags when it feels really comfortable to say we may be at a re- at a revisioning stage. We need to remake ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then when you go a little bit farther down, a, a church gets to the point where they need to renew. 
some of the flags to look at there is when the, there begins to get this sense of our golden age, when people can say, you know, I remember when our church was and when so-and-so was here and we were doing that and things were so, as soon as that kind of language comes into, into play, that's a sure red flag that you're in the renewal. Probably have lost maybe 30% to up to 50% of what you were at the highest you know, number of, of, of members or attenders. So a church used to be 300, but now they're 150. That's a place where it's renewal that needs to be made now. And when you find that people around you in your community, they don't really know you, they don't know where you're at, you tell them, oh, I'm at the, you know, whatever the name of the church is on the corner of something and something, and they go, oh, I'm not familiar with that. Well, they live two blocks from it and drive by it every day. That's a sign that you need renewal because you've lost connect that connective tissue into the community. That means you're not going to be you're not going to have new people coming in, or if they do, they won't stay around because they they feel so disconnected from it. So those are three red flags at that renewal stage. But they still have a church at that stage still has resources. It probably has leadership. It has energy still. They need to be reharnessed and given that new that new uh, new sense of life. And so the difference between revision and renew is that revision, you still have a, a high level of continuity with the previous state of the church. The renew is you're going to have to have a new sense of how we do church. And I, I talk, I, I kind of work it through empty church through some phases. Uh, here's the phases I use to help people think about it. You have to move from default to design. Where default is, well, this is just what we do. It's because we've always done that, but why? That's the design factor. And they've got to know why we do that. And then we talk about moving from maintenance to missional. That are... We're not going to be just about keeping things going, but we're going to be on the mission. And so we have a new sense of mission, a new vision. We may have a new name in renewal. It may even be a new place sometimes in renewal. At least it's going to highly uh, remodel the church building because it's a new church mm -hmm. that's coming in to that place. And then we talk about moving from internal to external and that our focus needs to now become on the people around us. They're our primary focus over the people amongst us. And those are our three big changes in that mentality. So that's what's happening in the renewal. You're getting a new mental stage. And when churches drop down into the tanking, I use the quick, I call it the quick 50, the thumbnail indicators. Is your church over 50 years old? Is your regular Sunday worship attendance under 50? And are your average attenders over 50 years of age? Mm. So that 50, if it, all three of those are there, it's probably a tanking church and it's, it needs some real serious attention given to it at that stage. So that, that's the quick 50 
on that. So I have those red flags that I look for, you know, at each each stage of, of the life cycle for a church. And an empty church kind of walks people through each of those uh, those phases and what they can do. Reinventing yourself sounds a little scary to some people because I think so many churches are in the default maintenance internal place. And, and as you say, there can be a time of comfort there where, where life's relatively easy until you get down to that tanking level. What, what is it, what does it look like to reinvent? I'm glad you asked me that. My wife and I go to two churches now. So we go to the Missio Church in North Seattle, which our daughter and son-in-law planted five years ago. And Missio on a Sunday is going to be 50 to 60 people. There's about 80 to 100 in there, you know, in the mix that are always coming in and out. All young families, all dynamic, starting their kid, raising their kids, you know, in the midst of building their careers. It's just dynamism. We're, you know, we're the we're the parents of the group, <laughs> right? <laughs> but then we go as soon as we get done there, we hit the car and we go twenty minutes up the road to the Northwest Church in Seattle, which interestingly is where my father was baptized, and it's the first church I remember being part of. Well, they've remade themselves at least at least twice, which means in their 120-year span, they have been three different churches. And they did it by location. So about seven years ago, they were in a, a, a building that they'd been in for 30-plus years, Milton Jones, uh, was up there, Bill Lawrence. Uh, they came up to do campus ministry, and uh, and Milton became the the uh, pulpit minister. And that was that was that church's main life. It was dynamic. It was living, vibrant church. Uh, then when Milton moved, uh, they hired Chris Goldman from Rancho Cordova in California. Chris came up. He realized they were stuck. They were in that renew phase, and the question was, what do we do? How do we renew ourselves? Well, they uh, they merged with a uh, a Christian church. Both buildings sold. They bought a uh, a new building for them. It was a uh, ten fitness gym. They remodeled the building into a community center, and. They have four or five ministries that are housed in there full time. They have other, like the police, come in and do their training in the building. They have other other groups from the community come into the building on an as-needed uh, you know, service. And then their church meets there uh, as well. So they've, they have remade themselves into a a church of the community. So they're, I wouldn't say they're a community church as we understand it, but they are a church of the community. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a new identity for them. Uh, it's, it gave them that new mission, that new vision, uh, those new values that they are working on. And I think they're a, a, a very good example of a church that has remade itself through its it's 120 year history and 
you know, here in Seattle, where there's more dogs than Christians, I'll tell you that for sure. <laughs> they are a dynamic, flourishing church mm. in Seattle in this very uh, aggressively non-Christian culture. Uh, they're just they're do both of those churches are doing very, very well. We well, get that, to experience them every Sunday. That that's a great story, and that fits so well with our Common Ground Unity mission. Here, you got two restoration churches that come together and combine their efforts and become one family, and uh, reinvent themselves in the process and bring new life into their ministry. Uh, we need to have Chris Goldman come on and talk about that on this podcast, and uh, we'll do. talk to yeah. him about that. That'd be terrific. Yes. Um, in chapter six of your book, Stan, uh, you discuss these all too common leader responses. Um, the first is we got it right. And the second is we don't need help or we don't want help. Speak to those just a little bit. Okay. And what do you do with people that are in a church and their leaders are kind of that way? Every church is going to have some leaders that are that way. Uh, at least that's been my experience, that there's always one. Uh, this was just two weeks ago. I was talking to a minister and he said, one of my leaders stood up in the congregation two weeks ago and said, this church is not going to change. That is my purpose in this church is to keep us the same. Mm. Well, I don't know where he's coming from, but it's, it's often a fear thing that there's one person in the eldership or the leadership who is just so fearful that doing anything becomes too difficult. And that's where some of these come from. And with Churches of Christ, uh, particularly, which has been my, you know, my, my branch of, of our movement, uh, I think I grew up more with the idea of proselytizing than evangelizing. Mm -hmm. And so I really wasn't uh, schooled in how do you help people who aren't believers consider Jesus. It was more, how do you take people who are already believers, but in the wrong church and bring them into us, the right church. Mm -hmm. I think that's where the, we got it right comes from. And it's our uh, restorationist idea that there was a golden church and we have to be and do what that golden church did. And if we do it differently, then we're not the right church. You know, and unfortunately, and I think many of us understand this now, is that somewhere in the 1950s and 60s, we restored the golden church. And so we have to continue to do what churches did in the 1950s and 60s. And that's where a lot of that we got it right uh, comes from as I've experienced it anyway. Yeah. The we don't need help or we don't want help, those are, they're different, but they they come from the same things. So it, it can be naivete, just simply we don't know anything else. We only can do what we know to do. And so until we have some other models, examples, uh, guides to help us, we get kind of stuck. So it could come from that. It could come from a place of pridefulness that says, well, we've got this and we really don't need anyone to teach us anything else. I've, I've seen that. Or it can come from that fear factor as well. You know, that example of we don't want help, I think of two churches that Heritage 21 has worked with in the last few years. 
uh, both of them got to the point where they needed to close. Uh, and one of them, we were working with them kind of along that pathway. They actually did what we call redevelop, is they closed their church. They sold the building that they couldn't afford anymore. Uh, so it was an albatross around their head, but they used the funding and they used the people of that church to be the seed team for a new church. They went into a school and they started a new church. And that's what redevelopment is. It is closing, selling out, starting something new in its place. But what was interesting was they their minister in the previous church was a uh, a real estate agent for you know, individuals buying homes, and they signed a contract with him to sell their church building. Well, yeah, there's such a vast difference between a commercial real estate, which is what a church is, and a uh, you know a home where people live. He didn't know how to deal with it. And so when that contract went up, they came back with us and said, can you help us sell our church? And within 30 days, we had a contract and 60 to 90 days later, it was sold. They had their money and were, and had made some contributions to some other good, good works and uh, are still meeting today. The other church, they had already quit meeting and again, had thought they could sell the building, but 18 months later, they hadn't gotten any traction. They called us and said, can you help us? And we went up and and one of our board members made two or three chips, trips to Fargo, North Dakota. Mm. And uh, within 90 days, had the, the building sold and everything was you know, th that money was being repurposed for something else. And that's what repurposing is. So the members yeah. had gone into other congregations and then they used that money to bless some other works, which is repurposing their capital of faith. Uh, paying it forward is maybe what we were calling it. Both of those big victories, but at first their attitudes, well, we really don't need help. But after a while, they figured out we're not making any progress. Maybe we do. Yeah. And that, that's what Heritage 21 wants to do is to is to be a help and uh, be facilitators for churches that, that are stuck uh, and just need some help to figure out a new way forward. Hey, everybody, we'll be right back with the rest of this episode. We want to take a moment to thank Mission Alive and Central Christian College of the Bible for sponsoring this episode. Mission Alive equips leaders to start innovative communities of faith focused on transforming marginal communities. They provide church planning training, apprenticeships, consulting, and discipleship cohorts, among other resources. They can also train you to be a nationally accredited coach through Catalyze Coach Training. This 28-week credential will equip you to impact and transform your church organization leadership and ministry. Learn how God can transform your life and ministry by going to missionalive.org. That's missionalive.org or emailing them at contact at missionalive.org. And Central Christian College of the Bible has low-cost, innovative, and flexible master's programs in ministry leadership and preaching that they want you to know about. These two-year programs are designed to be one-third online, one-third on campus, and one-third supervised ministry by an expert in your interest area. 
The mentoring courses can offer credit in your local ministry. Graduates like Dr. Don Mahardy and Jonathan Curtis are impacting the kingdom in deeper, more meaningful ways because of their education at CCCB. So find out more at cccb.edu front slash graduate. That's cccb.edu front slash graduate. Well, I'll tell for our listeners, um, Stan has put in the book some great assessment tools. I encourage you to get the book and look at some of those tools that are out there um, to kind of help you assess the condition of, of where you are as a church. I think those are very useful instruments. I want to shift gears just a little bit. Our time's getting short, Stan, and I want you to put on um, you know, a hat of, of forecasting a little bit. Um, because you've got a heart for church planting too. And of course, that means often uh, new wine skins to pour that wine into, kind of fresh expressions. Uh, as you look at churches off in the future, how do you think they'll be different uh, from the past 50 to 70 years in order to be effective and, and fruitful? Maybe, maybe a better way to put that is what will relevant churches look like in the future? Yeah, that idea of relevant churches, that's, uh, that really is cogent. For this, uh, there's three three ways, four ways that I, I think churches will will be different moving ahead, and I think I I do have a, the context to speak to that. Uh, I was listening to Ed Stetzer, who's a, a missiologist with the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, several years ago, and he said, if you want to know what church in America will be like 25 years from now, look to Vancouver, BC, and the Pacific Northwest. Mm. So that's where I, I live. So I think I can speak to this. Um, I think one is churches are going to be smaller. Uh, we're still going to have mega churches, those churches of a thousand, two or three thousand, you know, or even more churches. They're, they're still going to be in play. But the vast majority of churches are going to be much smaller. In fact, already in this millennium, the average church size in America has dropped from 120 to 80. And so I think that 50 to 80 in membership is going to become the predominant size of churches. And so with that, churches aren't going to be able to do all the things they did when they were 200 or 300 or 500 members. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be more embedded in their neighborhoods or their networks that they serve. And uh, I got the neighborhood of networks. I got that from Mike Breen at 3DM. And I think it's very, very good language. Neighborhood. Uh, they're going to dig into a, a geographic location or a network. They're going to dig into a certain strata or type of people. And churches are going to really embed themselves into their neighborhoods or networks, which means that the look and feel will be much more, much more specific uh, to what they're serving. So I think that's second. Third, because again of size, there's going to be fewer full-time ministers and there's going to be more bivocational and what they're calling now co-vocational ministers. And I think that's interesting. Bivocational, uh, 
I again go back to Tom Rainer for this. Bivocational is really a financial situation. You need X number of dollars for a full salary. The church can provide, you know, 75% of that. Where's the other 25% coming from? So the, uh, the, the minister gets a, uh, another job somewhere else. So that's that, uh, that bivocational, and it's because of finances. Where co-vocational, though, is a mission-oriented situation. In our increasingly non-Christian society of America, full-time pastors, people around that don't know what to, they don't know what to do with them. They, they don't have any buckets, any categories. So you work full-time with the church, so you're a weird guy. That's kind of their bucket, weird guy. So I'll put him in the weird guy bucket. But when they can say, I do, you know, this, and I do this, then they have at least a starting point and they go, oh, so you're something, you know, you're a, well, I'll just pick one, something else. So you're a real estate agent. Oh, I, I understand that. I know that. It gives, it gives people a, a, a way to get a hold of who we are. But then we add, but I'm also a pastor. I'm also a minister of a church. And now that's great question category right there. You are. Mm -hmm. So are you doing that because your job doesn't pay you enough? Oh, no. I'm both. Oh. And you get that spiritual conversation going because you've become part of their world, but now you bring this new idea into it. And so that co-vocational path, we're going to have more co-vocational pastors because our society is going, that's going to be doorways into our society. I think that's, that's actually rather exciting uh, to have that idea. Hmm. I think the fourth characteristic we'll see is churches are going to be much more partners within their communities rather than um, fortresses to keep their communities out. And I see this in, in the meeting places. So again, I'll go to the Missio Church and the Northwest Church. The Missio Church meets in a rented facility, but it's not just a rented facility. They're in a partnering relationship with the Northwest Music Center. And they had to overcome some prejudices because this is a Christian group coming into this secular entity, which, by the way, is meeting in a church building that they bought and renovated. So now Missio Church is meeting in a renovated church building and has become a partner with the Northwest Music Center, a valued partner. And the way we live that out is we take care of their grounds all the outside things that they're building, we take care of it, we do it. And so now we've taken something that was looking pretty scraggly and turned it into something looking pretty good. And the neighbors now pay attention. They've seen us out there working. They come by and say, who are you guys? What are you doing? We see you here on Sundays. What are you doing on Sundays? And so now we've got a partnership that blesses both the, the music center and the community. Where Northwest chose to be a, to create a community center that they own, but 
brings the community in to them on a regular basis. And so both those models are going are, are models that demonstrate community partnership. And churches that are going to be relevant churches are, as I see it, will be churches that have very active, identifiable partnerships with their communities around them and that will show it in their building situation. So I hope that's uh, that's helpful for people helpful. that uh, it is going to be different and it will have challenges, but particularly that co-vocational and the partnership with community are very exciting differences for us to explore and engage in. Good stuff. Boy, that's, that's insightful um, and thought-provoking. Stan, I've got so many more questions I'd love to ask, but our time has... Uh, is kind of run run down on us here, and I, I'm intrigued by all of these areas and categories we've been talking about, and I think our listeners will be as well. Love to have you back. I know we're going to have you back in the not too distant future uh, for our Healthy Church series um, that'll be airing or or being dropped out there um, a number of months down the road after this one will be, and you'll be back for that. Um, so I hope you'll, maybe you'll come back in between and we can talk about some of these other questions. I think your book, uh, meets a great need. I've, I've told you before, I think it's very timely. I I've recommended it to so many people and I want to recommend it to our listeners as well. If you're not in a church that's struggling with the issues addressed in empty church, um, I can assure you, you know, family members or friends in congregations that are. And I, I, I find this tool to be, I use the word tool because it is that. Mm. It, it's a book that gives great information. Uh, it, the statistics alone at the start are startling. Um, if you're not aware of the problem, you'll be aware after the first chapter or two. But then there's some great pathways forward. It's a hopeful book. It's not a book about the death of the church. It's a hopeful book with, with some plans and ways for renewal uh, it's exciting in that way. And then if you're a church that's finding yourself at the end, it gives some great, what Stan refers to as estate planning for a church to give birth where maybe a church is uh, coming to a place of closing its doors. So very helpful. Um, uh, the book again is Empty Church, Why People Don't Come and What to Do About It. You can get it uh, at Amazon or um, you can go to the Heritage 21 website, I believe, and purchase the book. I think it's a Kindle book as well as a um, hard copy book. So however you read, it's accessible to you. Uh, Stan, anything you'd like to share before we get away and anything else you'd like to add to what you've said? And then I've got one last question for you. I'm glad you brought up the idea of hopeful with Empty Church. Because it is that, uh, I, I believe that we have ex very exciting times ahead of us in God's kingdom. And I see that in these new churches around us that are reaching new people who have never been believers in their life. And they are finding that Jesus brings the answers that they're looking Amen. for. That is our ultimate hope. The kingdom's an adventure. Whatever era you find, find yourself living in it. 
and uh, we're living in the kingdom today, not the kingdom of the uh, the 1950s. And we need to be mindful about what it looks like to help um, and and partner together in advancing the purposes of God. And that ought to be our heart's desire. Stan, if I were to come up there to the Northwest and and join you in uh, Seattle there and have a cup of coffee, our motto is unity starts with a cup of coffee. And we're always encouraging our guests uh, to, to not start with, uh, you know, your, your minor differences or doctrinal nuance to try to bring unity together, but sit down and have a cup of coffee and start getting to know one another. If I was to come up there to Seattle and have a cup of coffee, uh, how do you take your coffee? Well, I take my coffee black, but I wouldn't take you to Starbucks, even though this is Starbucks headquarters, I'd take you to Aurora Avenue, which is the street that has more prostitution on it than any other street in Seattle. And we go to black coffee, which Mm. is a uh, black African-American run coffee store. Great people, a great place to sit down and be in the midst of community. And we'd share a fantastic cup of coffee together at black coffee in Shoreline, Washington. Oh, I'd, I'd love to do that sometime. And uh, would love to see both you and Gina. And uh, we may have had coffee in the past. We've known each other for a number of years. So uh, that, that, that would just be terrific. Stan, we're going to again have you back. Be looking down the road after this podcast for another conversation with Stan uh, in our Healthy Church series. It's upcoming a little bit later this year. Uh, join us again as we uh, drop another podcast next Friday. Thank you for joining us for this. I, pray it's been a blessing to your life. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.